0: All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful afternoon. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for a comfortable place where we can assemble, Lord, and and just um, uh, receive from you and hear from you. I thank you, Father, to the glory of your name that your word will be heard in this room. It will be received, Father, and um, our lives will be made better because of it. So thank you, Lord, tonight. Um, The enemy is rebuked. He's paralyzed. And Father, we declare this place to be holy ground and therefore neutral ground, Father, where we're free to receive from you and free to follow you and free to, uh, Lord, just allow your word to, to renew our minds and change our lives. <laughs> Father, thank you for these men and women. Lord, some have jumped in these classes uh, in, in, in recent times. Others have been here from the beginning. And uh, But Lord, tonight is, an, uh, is a unique night all in and of itself. So we just thank you for what you're going to say to us and how it's going to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's begin in First uh, Peter, the book of First Peter, chapter 1. 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, and um, I just want to kind of briefly, 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 and keyword there briefly, since I emphasized it, uh, review a little bit of what we've talked about over the last few weeks. And um, it's important because tonight's going to kind of connect some things together, and then we're going to build on them some more, okay? So we're going to connect, and then we're going to build, and um, we began a few weeks back to Uh, explain uh, what it means to be born again. Some people refer to that as receiving salvation or getting saved. Um, And of course we looked at what exactly it was that we needed to be saved from. It wasn't just our sin, but it was the seed from which we were born or our nature is what was um, literally uh, bringing death to us. And so Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save us. And in the process, He created a way designed by Him and His Father and the Holy Spirit before He ever created Adam, put Him on this earth. Um, he created a way for you and I to be born a second time of His seed. Now, I don't want to go too far down this pathway because when it just comes to things that we don't have you know, a whole bunch of Scripture on, it can become my opinion very quickly. And um, I've been asked over the years, well, you know, why go through all of this? Why not just create us the way He recreated us in Christ Jesus from the beginning? And I think that, and I guess some of you would laugh either later or under your breath at me because it seems to be my answer for everything that seems mysterious. But I believe that the root of that answer has to do with our free will. And as I'm going to explain this tonight, um, once a person is born again, it can't be undone. So that has to be something you choose. Now obviously Adam was created in fellowship with God, but he chose to break that fellowship. When you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and become born a second time of a seed that cannot die, then you're pretty much stuck with God forever at that point. And that makes some people nervous, and if you'll hear me out, even if you don't believe it yet, if you'll hear me out, I think the Holy Spirit and the Word of God show you exactly what i mean i, I was kidding somebody one time because they they disagreed with with um with let's just say me on this amen and uh, i was i was kidding them. i said you know it's almost like before you lead somebody in the center's prayer you need to, it's kind of like you know you buy a house you know or you buy a car you fix a sign on the dotted line and they give you all those warnings matter of fact they'll sometimes put a little tape recorder up on the desk and you know we're recording this. Mr. Winslet, do you understand that by signing these papers, you commit to blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, it's almost like we need to, all right, wait, wait a second. Before you pray, let's make sure you understand. You can't undo this. You know, you can't reverse this, right? You're fixing to be committed to God forever. Amen. So, I can tell some of you are getting irritated at me already, so let's keep reading here. So, the idea is when we're born of his seed, we're born of a seed that can't die. Amen. We're born of an incorruptible seed, a seed that cannot ever be corrupted again. The seed that Adam, right, we were born from Adam's seed, that was corrupted seed. That seed can be corrupted. When we were born the second time, we were born from a seed that cannot be corrupted, that lives and abides forever. Alright? So if the seed of an orange produces the orange, made the orange what it is, what will an incorruptible seed that can't be corrupted and a seed that produces life eternal, and remember, where is that seed now? The seed that made the apple is also in the apple. The seed that, that we were born a second time from now lives within us, and because that seed's within us, the Bible says not only do we not sin, we can't sin. Amen. Now, I, I, you know, some people get upset with me again over the years. They say, Pastor Mark, you shouldn't tell people these things. Well, yes, we should, because it's this hope, right, that motivates us to purify our lives even as he is pure. It's not the threat of punishment. I mean, how many times did we know what the punishment was for something and we did it anyway? We act like this threat of punishment is somehow this great motivating factor. All you've got to do is threaten people, and they won't do that anymore. We knew the consequences of sin was death. We knew hell. We knew what hell was like. We heard about that. We didn't stop us at all. We blew right past those stops, right? But, man, it's very, very hard once you begin to understand, know, grow, believe, receive the love of God. It's very hard to blow past that. Very, very hard. And even if you do, um, you'll be very quick um, to ask Father to forgive you. That's why the Bible says, and we'll get these verses later, but in Titus, in 1 Peter, in Titus it says grace is our teacher. Grace will teach you how to live a sober life. Grace will teach you to how, to, how to live a godly life in a present evil world. Grace, what God's done for you, His gift of salvation, His gift of new birth to you. So this is why we need to know as much about it as we possibly can because it is the motivating factor above all motivating factors in our lives to, to apply ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to live through us the life that Father created us to live. So we've been born a second time. And through this new birth, we became something that we were not. And we looked last week at how this now means we are sons of God. Even if you're a female gender physically, you're still in the same position as an heir of God, a joint heir uh, with him as Jesus because you've been born of his seed. Jesus is the seed from which we were all born a second time. So, I know I'm being repetitive here, but remember, and I'll move on from here. The new birth, being born again, is a literal experience. It's not figurative. You have literally been born a second time. Not your physical body, not even your soul, but this part of you, the real you, has been born a second time. Remember what he said to Nicodemus. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You've got to be born of water physically, and you've got to be born of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom. Amen. And so because of this now, we have the wherewithal to live every day of our lives victoriously. It's not just about your eternal destination. It's not just about missing hell and going to heaven. Certainly our eternal destination has been secured by the blood of Jesus. We're talking about daily victory now. All right? And if it was only about getting us to heaven, then the minute you, you said amen after asking Jesus into your heart, you'd have been transported straight there. Okay? But it's also about the life that we now live as the Apostle Paul referred to it. And so that's what we're interested in, right? Not just for ourselves, but in helping other people. In helping other people. Um, I had a young man in one of the classes the other, the other morning, and, um, and obviously he you know, was kind of agitated about some things, and, and um, you know, he, he asked me to quit saying the word addiction and, because you know, he, he said that it's not an addiction problem, it's a sin problem. And I, I agree with him, but I also agree that our sin problem's been taken care of. Come on now. Our sin problem's been taken care of. You say, well, my sin problem's been taken care of, Pastor Mark, why do I still want to sin? Well, that's the, that's the questions we're answering right now, right? How do, how do we, since our sin problem's been taken care of, how do we rise above it? How do, we, how do we put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk out the righteousness that we have already become? Amen. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 1, let's begin at verse number 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. That word begotten there, it's a birth word. Okay, In other words, to be begotten means to be born. So He has borned us again. That's, that's not good English, but it's good doctrine. All right? He has begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope. Now, I know that you probably hear the word hope a lot, probably use the word hope a lot. Let's just connect real quickly with what it means. Hope, especially Bible hope, is speaking of a confident expectation for the future. Okay? A confident expectation for the future. Now, just briefly, a lot of times people say, I'm hoping and praying. That's wrong. You don't hope and pray. You believe and pray. Jesus said, when you stand praying, believe that you receive whatever it is that you're asking for. That's faith, okay? Faith and hope are separate things. Hope is for the future. Faith is for right now, okay? So, he says that we've been begotten again by our Heavenly Father. He has birthed us again and that we have now been born to a hope that is alive. A living hope. A living, confident expectation for good to come and better to come in the future. And notice that He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll come back to that. Notice comma. Verse number 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We could just spend the next six weeks on this right here. All that He has just covered. Man, this is condensed more than a case of Campbell's soup. I mean, it is packed like a trunk. I mean, it, it is just... Mm, mm, mm. It's like the Holy Spirit just got up on top of it and just packed some more into it, right? I mean, what has been condensed and communicated... In these three verses. Let's start here, okay? As beautiful and as wonderful and as, and as eternal as the work that God has already done in you as a born again believer, He is far from finished with you and me. Amen. And that's the living hope that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So He's talking about our salvation. As Notice he's linking this to the, the, the being born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I want to just, ah, praise God, I want, to, I want to go ahead because you're going to see this word a few more times tonight. And the word is inheritance. The word is inheritance. So we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. All right? The name of this church is, and we've been over this before, let me just go over it again. The Holy Spirit, I believe, dropped this name into our hearts when, by the way, I've mentioned it before, the 20th anniversary this year. We began in June of 98. And a lot of people say, well, what you going to call that new church there, Pastor Mark? You know, and um. At first, I really didn't know, and I had a lot of people made suggestions, and I just took it before the Lord, and and sometimes I pray for a while about things. Sometimes it's like, Father, what do I, and the answer's there. And the answer came immediately, Heritage Christian Center. Now, if you notice, inheritance, heritage, heir is, is key to that. And simply put, your inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are. And because we've become a new creation in Christ Jesus, we now have a new inheritance. In other words, there are things that belong to you now because of who you became that were not yours prior to that. Are you following what I'm saying? So he's saying that this inheritance is also incorruptible. Now, what he he means here by incorruptible, the... Marginal notes, my Bible says imperishable. It's just the same thing, right? We've been born of an incorruptible seed. We have an indestructible heredity. We now have a, an inheritance that goes along with that because of who we are that's also incorruptible. And it's undefiled, meaning it, it, it can't be spoiled or ruined, nor does it get old or lose its value or worth over time. And it's reserved in heaven for you. This next one, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. okay. Now, this again is one of the areas of great confusion in a lot of people's lives when it comes to their salvation. And we mentioned this when we were in Galatians a week or so ago, where Paul said, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to finish this thing out through the strength or the arm of the flesh? Who has bewitched you so quickly to make you think that you can somehow now maintain through the flesh what you could never produce, what you could never create, what you could never become on your own. In other words, what he's saying here is, you could not make yourself right before God in the eyes of God, and you can't keep yourself right before God in the eyes of God. It is his power that keeps us. It is his righteousness that keeps us. We are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, Christ is the solid rock, and because he's solid and immovable, we have now become solid, steadfast, and immovable. So this is what he's saying, that that it's the power of God that is now keeping us through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's go back over it again. The Bible talks about your salvation in three tenses. The Bible that you have in front of you tonight talks about you having been saved, The Bible in front of you tonight talks about you being saved, are being saved, are being sanctified. And the Bible in front of you also talks about how there's coming a day when we shall be, will be saved. Past, present, future. So again, if you look closely at the board, you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. Remember last week when we read the verse out of 1 John, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. right? The promise of who we are and what we will one day be has not yet been revealed. But this is what we know. We know this much. That because we've been born of His seed, we've already become like Him. You have the DNA of Jesus in your spirit right now. And when who you truly are steps from this glove called your flesh, your body, and who you are right now is revealed, we know this one thing to be true. You will be just like Jesus because you were born of His seed. And that is, that is nothing but good news right there. So he's saying again that we have been born again, we are being kept for a future day of salvation that is yet to be experienced. That is yet to be experienced. So when you got saved, again, we use that term in its past tense expression, right? Or we say, I have been saved already. Have you ever been saved, young lady? Yes, I was saved when I was five. So was saved. We use all this in the past tense, I'm not saying that's wrong, but in addition to having been saved, you are also currently now being saved, and you will one day be saved even more. Your salvation will be complete when your uh, elaborate body glove now, you know, that we're calling our flesh, uh, is traded in for the glorified body that's already prepared for you in heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, so I know we're kind of bearing down on a few things tonight. Can you imagine God preparing a body in heaven for someone who's been saved, and then they never show up to step into that body. It's like, well, you know, where's, who's supposed to be in this body over here? You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's like God doesn't know these things, right? <laughs> All right, so, amen. So we have been begotten again. Let's go back now to really the one phrase that I want us to focus on as we move forward. And that's the last couple of phrases in verse number 3. That because of God's, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we've talked about the things that are necessary for birth. And of course, we talked about the seed from which we've been born. And John 12 says, Jesus speaking, if the, if the seed remains in the cute little brown bag with the top rolled down and stapled, sitting on a shelf, it will abide alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, that seed will reproduce after its kind. Jesus spoke this prophetically of His death. In other words, He was going to have to fall into the earth and die, be planted as the capital S-E-E-D, in order for the potential that he has within himself to reproduce each one of us after his kind to be realized. Are you still with Pastor Mark? This is important, okay? So, when we speak then of being born again, not only was there a seed involved, there was also a womb. And the womb from which we were all born was the womb of death. Jesus was born again from the grave. And everyone who has ever been born again after Him was also born again from the grave through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if this is getting a little spooky, I'm not trying to get spooky on you. I'm going to explain this tonight in, in, in great detail. All right? We're not going to leave many stones unturned on this because this is, if you will, the biblical foundation, the words that Father God has given to each one of us to help us fully understand what it really means to have gotten saved and to have been born again. So He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if I go through that door, that means I have left this room and I have gone through the door. I am now into the hallway, right? So when he says it was through Jesus' resurrection that we were born again, that we were begotten again, it was when he was raised up, amen, this is what literally paved the way, if I could use that expression, for every human being on planet earth to also be born again from the dead. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. Amen. I anticipate questions tonight, but um, Amen. Just hold them if you will. Let's get some of this. I don't see anybody's hand. I'm just saying. Let's. uh, Sometimes I get on a roll, and you think I'd like to ask a question, but oh, I don't want to interrupt him. So we'll get there. I promise. And even if you think about a question and you don't feel like it's the right time to ask it, just jot it down so you'll remember. Okay. And if we don't answer it, the Holy Spirit doesn't answer it for you, then we'll get it answered. Amen. Colossians chapter one, and let's begin uh, in verse. Number 15, Colossians chapter 1. And, oh, praise God. Let's make it 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Um, It says this, verse number 13 He has delivered us. I know that, again, every person in here is hearing and listening and maybe even following along in your own Bible. But I just, again, I want to emphasize, has delivered. Not Will deliver, but has delivered. Past tense. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed. Meaning this is something that has already taken place. He has delivered me. He has delivered you from the power of darkness. And He has conveyed us. That literally means He has relocated us into the kingdom of the son of His agape. The son of His love. Remember when He said to Nicodemus, look at me for a minute. To enter the kingdom, you must what? Be born again. So do you see how we're connecting two things together now? We went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We're now citizens of that kingdom. How did we get from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, the Son of His love? We passed through, right? We passed through um, His resurrection. We were born into the new birth. Oh, sweet Jesus, I want to make sure we get this. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm not trying to confuse you. God says the same thing in different ways so that we can then search it out and, and, and connect all the dots, connect all the pieces. And then once you've got them all connected, you can go get a whole other set of verses and connect all the same verses again. They both say the same thing. That's, that's the way you know. Father God has layered this truth into His Word. Now He's wanting to layer this truth into your life. So let's go back in our minds. And you don't have to turn there. But again, Jesus, in these landmark revelation, first time we've heard anything like this, uh, you know, words from Jesus' mouth, in order to see the kingdom, in order to enter the kingdom, you must be born into that kingdom. You must be born again, and when you're born again, you pass from death to life into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. Are you following what I'm saying? So now we read in uh, Colossians 1 and 13, That we have been delivered from the power of darkness and we have been conveyed, relocated in the kingdom of the Son of His love. How does that happen? It happens through the new birth. So he's talking about being born again here. I know that it doesn't say begotten us again or born again, but again, putting the pieces together. Yes? Okay. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins... Speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. A lot of preaching, teaching, I'm skipping over here. That word literally means that He's the glue that holds it all together. If you, those of you who were here in the early days of these classes, Hebrew says what? By him, Here it says, by him all things consist. Um, in in the, those days we said that it is, the, it is the mighty word of his power that holds all things, um, supports all things, maintains all things, and propels all things forward. So again, it's just a, a correlation there, another connection. All right? Verse 18, And he is... The head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He, Jesus, may have the preeminence. Now, in Scripture, you see different titles for Jesus. One of the titles that we see for Him is the only begotten Son of God. The only begotten meaning the only one who was born. Jesus, of course, born from the Virgin Mary. This is not speaking of some time in eternity past when um, the Son, God the Son Jesus, was born. He's without beginning, without ending in that regard. But he's talking about this only begotten Son of God. Notice now the Scriptures refer to him not as the only begotten, but the firstborn among many. So, the the, um, moment that the disciples, and I believe they were the first people born again, we could even make a case that Mary was the first individual born again. Um, But the disciples, when Jesus appeared to them, breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit, that's when they were born again. At that instant in time, Jesus ceased being the only begotten Son of God. He then became shifted over to the firstborn among many brethren. That's pretty powerful, right? Okay. Now, first born from the dead. So, when we were born again, we also were born from death. We passed from death to life. How? If I'm going to pass from this room to the hallway, I've got to pass through something to make that transition. In this case, we passed through the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of like... <clears throat> this, I don't, I don't want to trivialize it, but um, let's say they're only letting so many folks in that room right there, okay, and Jaden's got a pass that'll let him in, and so they're letting folks through, and when Jaden goes through, you just kind of just kind of scoot in right behind Jaden, right, they open the door for him, and when they open the door for him, you went through with him, okay, I'm not trying to trivialize this, but, you know, when Jesus passed through, we're a, we, we were able to pass through with him, in other words, he, he that's why he's the way, the truth, the life. Amen? I feel like I'm bogging you down. Are y'all good? All right, now, I wanna, we're going to keep talking about the same thing, but I want to show it to you in a different way. And, and this is going to be a uh, more thorough way. Okay? Um, <clears throat> turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word, Lord. Hebrews chapter 4. Have you ever stopped to consider how clueless we would be if we didn't have a Bible? Do you, do you, I mean, do you realize how clueless we would be, I mean, trying to figure out life? And, and I mean, consider how many clueless people are there are on planet Earth and we actually have a Bible. I mean, you know, consider how clueless I've been in my lifetime with 18 Bibles and 400 on my computer. You know what I mean? It's, anyway. But praise God. Thank God that we have His Word. And His Word is what counts. Not opinion, not denominational doctrines and religions of men and traditions and how mom and them saw it and all this other stuff. That's, that, it's what the Word says. That's, it's what the Word says. And so, if you'll notice, I mean, we, we've looked at a lot of Scripture at every class, but man, last week, we just went Scripture crazy, you know, in a good way. I mean, verse after verse after verse after verse. Because it's the Word of God that, that, that you know, renews the mind and ultimately transforms the thinking and therefore the life. Now, I've got you parked there. Let me talk to you for a few minutes, okay? And we'll look at this verse. I want to set it up, though. In the Old Testament, we see a completely different system than what we have in the New Testament. Because so much of religion has been based in the Old Testament. Many people, even this many years later, still have tremendous Old Testament influence in their thinking, and therefore in the way they relate to God. Now we see this, you know, 30 years after Jesus returned to His Father, and you could almost understand why them folks struggle with that because all they'd ever known was Judaism. There may be some folks who have joined the class since, but we talked about this you know, a month or two ago. And there's not even anybody in here unless there's, there's somebody now that is Jewish period, much less raised in Judaism, much less raised in the Old Testament before the New Testament became available. Yet, in spite of this, so much of our relationship with God is influenced, our thinking is influenced by that Old Testament, old uh, system system. That has been fulfilled, is now defunct, is ready to vanish away, has absolutely nothing to do with your relationship with God right now. That old system was a system, it was a performance-based system. And the new system that we're under now is a grace-based system. Okay, And we like to hold on to that performance-based system. You know why? Because it appeals to our flesh. Our flesh likes performance. Our flesh you know, likes to rise to the challenge or what have you. I'm going to show them. Okay. Yes, anybody ever had the I'm going to show them, right? I don't know if we'll get there tonight in the Wednesday evening service, but that was one of the key buttons that Satan was trying to push when he, was, when he was tempting Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to slip over into I'll show you devil mode, okay? And of course, Jesus didn't take that bait. But we, I'll show them, is it appeals to the flesh. Religion appeals to the flesh. Performance based system appeals to the flesh. And so we hold on to that. We hold on to that. In Romans 4, stay where you are in Hebrews, but in Romans 4, it talks about Abraham as the pioneer of faith. And it asks this question, it says, what has he learned about this faith-based system? It says this, Abraham has learned this, that if it is something that has been earned, then that means, you know, if it's by works, then we don't call the wages grace, we, we call them something owed. right? So if you work all week on your job and you let them owe you till Friday, when they pay you on Friday, you may say thank you, but you're not thanking them for a gift. They have just paid you what they owed you for 40 hours of labor. So the old system was about works and trying to put God in your debt. The new system is not a works-based, performance-based system. It's a faith-based, grace-based system. And this is the system that Father always wanted you and I to be in because the works-based system meant God had to give you what you deserved. The faith-based, grace-based system means He can give you what He desires for you to have. There's a big difference there, right? I don't want what I deserve. Don't talk too much about getting what you deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We deserve misery. We deserve torment. We deserve to be sick and die young. That's what we deserve and spend the rest of our eternity in a devil's hell. That's what we deserve. And that is not what Father desired for you. And it's not what He desires for you and me. And so He put together this elaborate plan to move us out of that old system and install us Into a new system. The Bible says in Romans 5 that we now have been permanently planted in the free flow of God's grace. We have entree into it. Jesus has ushered us in and then planted us in the grace of God. We're in grace now. We're under grace now. Kenneth Copeland says it this way, grace is God's desire to treat you like sin never happened. That's His grace. That's his grace. People like this old system because they want God to somehow owe them something. My friend, my brother, my sister, please hear me very, very carefully. Please listen to this very, very carefully. God will not owe you anything, but he will freely give you everything. There's a big difference there. So when you hear people talk about we had folks praying in 17 states and if anybody ever was going to be healed it should have been my great, great, great aunt on my mother's side three, three times removed because she was a godly woman went to church all her life and taught Sunday school and helped the poor and swept everybody else's sidewalk and blah, blah, blah and I can't believe God didn't heal her. So what are we talking? We're talking old system. We're saying that great, great, great aunt third time removed on my mother's side um, you know, deserved a miracle. God owed her something for what she did. It's not how it works. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. See, people hold on to that. First century believers held on to that. <laughs> and people, <laughs> 21st century believers still hold on to that because they think they can use that system to control God. Amen or oh me? They think they can use that system as leverage against Him. Think about it. Think about it now. You had a really good week. You come tiptoeing into the into church, almost barely touching the ground. You can't wait to worship God, right? Because I've been a good girl this week, man. I, I have been such a nice guy this week. I am ready to worship Jesus, right? You come dragging in. You done cussed out the cat. You done, you know, you you, you know, you done you know, and thought about relapsing, you know, 24 hours a day, three days in a row, and, you know, you come dragging into church, and the last thing in the world you feel like doing is raising your hands. It's an, it's an Old Testament system, see. You're, you're thinking that you'd, let's, let's say you really messed up, right? Oh, I can't worship God, I can't pray, I, I shouldn't even come to church till I get myself cleaned up. See, again, works-based, performance-based system. Somehow you've got to earn His favor. His favor for you never changed. There's nothing you can do tonight to make Him love you any more than He loves you right now or any less than He loves you right now. He loves you unconditionally, eternally. Pull every petal off, every flower in the world. He loves me. He loves you. Okay? And the sooner we get out of this, you know, my standing is based upon my performance and get into what Jesus brought us into. My standing with God is based upon Jesus' performance then we're we're going to take some light-year steps ahead in not just how we live our lives, but we're going to literally knock the lies out of the devil's hands that he's been using against us. Because every time, how many, you don't raise your hand, but how many of you, like this is your relationship with God, like whatever, God's that way. Progress, 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 then all of a sudden something happens and we get set back. Now it's like, oh, you know. Because we think that all this progress means He loves us more and more and more. No, He loved you while you were a yet a sinner. While you were yet a sinner, right? So how much more now that you've been reconciled? See, th- So we're, we're not in this old system anymore. And we, we've, we've, got, we've got to get our minds renewed to this. Okay? Now, As compared to, he loves us more now that we're, the love that was on the cross that, you know, everybody talks about this tremendous love and it was absolutely tremendous love. But that was the love Jesus had for his enemies. You do realize that, right? We were enemies when he did that for us. That's what the Bible says, Romans 5. So, He demonstrated love on the cross, but that was the love that He has for His enemies. Romans 5 goes on to say, if that's how much He loved you and what He was willing to do for you without even any guarantee that you would come to Him, how much more now that you have been justified and reconciled and made one with Him does He love you? No, you're not throwing it out. It's 1 Peter 5, right? He gives more grace. <laughs> which is... Which, grace is just simply love expressing itself. Right? Grace is, is love doing what love does. <laughs> I'm about to get excited up in here. All right, let's... Ah, sweet Jesus. He loves you. I, man, I'm just telling you, He loves you. Right? It, you know, we... We want to sing Amazing Grace, but as soon as the grace gets more than we can comprehend, I guess we need to change it to rational grace, right? <laughs> Logical grace. Yes, my brother. So if we're saved and it's by his faith and by his grace, whoa. Well, what about the works that we do like helping people out and all that? I mean that getting higher up in the heaven or is That's a great question. It is a good question. So there's two seats. If you read the Bible carefully, you'll see that there's two judgment seats. Okay? And so there's two times of judgment, not all lumped into one. Okay? So for every person in this room who's been born again, I have really, really, really good news for you. Okay? Your sin, not in part but in whole, has already been judged. The sentence has already been handed down. The penalty has already been paid. And you are free. So the line that's waiting to be judged for their sin... You don't even have to get in that line. I'm speaking like, cause there's a line. You understand what I mean, okay? You don't have to get in that line. That, you know, that's like, what are you doing to that line? You, it's kind of like if you pre-register for something. Right? Come on now. You pre-register. So you, Yeah, express. Well said, man. So you show up, you know, and uh, we pre-register. I went to the minister's conference. You graciously let, let me miss a Wednesday. And so, you know, show up. At the, you know, we pre-registered, man. You get there first morning of the conference. There's lines out the door. Not me, Jack. I'm walking right on in, getting my seat. Right. Okay. Okay. So already been paid for. Already registered. So your sin, my sin, already been judged. Sentence been handed down. Jesus paid for it. So the judgment that we stand before is where we are judged by God, Jesus, because all judgments now being committed to Him, based upon what you did with what you were given. So that's where the works come in. And we will be rewarded accordingly to that. Now, people say, well, I ain't worried about that, Pastor Mark. Just, you know, just as long as I get there. So you say that now, yeah. it's kind of like people who say they don't really care about retirement until they turn 70. You know, and they're just like, oh, what was I thinking? You know, right, so oh, I don't want to said that, but I just said that. "All right." So I'm not 70. Okay. All right. I mean, remember when Jesus talked about this, he talked about rewards like being cities. I mean, you what so I'm saying? Not like, oh, you did really well, okay. Here is your four gold stars, and Susie only got three. No, no, we're talking black, like, okay, all right, man, you did really good, David. Um, if this angel will show you where to go, there's, there's four cities uh, out that way that are yours now. You, I mean, yeah, come on. So, so great question. <clears throat> Let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. The one thing that we see in the Old Testament over and over again is that it's a giant index finger, okay? You like your pointer? It's a giant index finger pointing to Jesus. And so, if you've heard before, maybe you haven't, if you've ever heard, though, the expression, or if you're hearing it for the first time, the expression, Types, T-Y-P-E-S, and Shadows types and shadows. It's referring to all of the different things in the Old Testament that were typical of what Jesus would one day be or a shadow being cast uh, of what He would one day be. Now, so typical, obviously the the no-brainer is um, the lambs that were sacrificed for sin. So we'll come back to that. But when we talk about a shadow, a shadow, I want you to picture, for some reason I'm turning to the right, okay? But I want you to to picture that, you know, someone is standing between you and, you know, they're just say, uh, you know, 70 feet that way and it's kind of dark. But there's a light 100 feet that way shining at you. Okay? And so what's happening is because the light is shining in your direction, it's casting shadows towards you. Are you following this? There are times that I'll come out of the sanctuary, the, the lights will be off in the hallway, the sunlight shining through the window, I can make out someone's silhouette because the shadow of that person is coming in my direction. I can't make out their features on their face. But I know there's somebody there. So obviously, Jesus was you know, the Lamb of God dis- declared to die before the foundation of the world. So for the people in the Old Testament, they are looking in the direction of the day when Jesus will come and his light is casting a shadow in their direction. That's the concept of a type and a shadow. Okay? So I'm going to try to just zero in for a moment on this idea of a substitutionary sacrifice. And that substitutionary is just a bigger word than the word substitute. But if you understand what a substitute is, a substitute is when a person or a thing stands in the place of another or operates in the place of another. So in school we had substitute teachers. We had a sub, right? Meaning our regular teacher wasn't there, but there was somebody who came in his or her place. So the justice system of God is simply this. The soul that sins shall die. Now, you can say that God's being harsh or what have you, and I guess if we had five more classes, we could go into a really detailed and, and, and long explanation as to exactly why this is. But you, you, know, you just you have to understand um, you know, the, the, the nature of God and, and who God is, but then you also have to understand what death means. And death does not mean no longer existing. Death means separation. Death means separation. And so um, sin separates us from God. Sin is a choice that we make to do something different than what God has created and instructed, created us for and instructed us to do. Okay? And that's a choice. So we make this choice to do our own thing, and that choice is what separates us from God. A lot of times we say, well, you know, well, God uh, rejected them. You know, no, 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 we were talking about Lucifer this morning. No, Lucifer disqualified himself because he decided to go a different way than what God had chosen and decided. All right, you still with me? So, um, in other words, the consequences for sin, the wages of sin, is death. All right. Except there's one problem though with this. Um, Your punishment, my punishment was death. But Father loves us as much as He loves Jesus. He, he wants good for us as much as He wants good for Himself. He loves you so much He'd rather die for you than live without you. So we've made ourselves transgressors. We, we, we've, we've done the crime. And we're in trouble. So what's going to happen? Well, this is what's going to happen. It's a type and a shadow of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God allowed for an animal to, to die in their place. He allowed an animal to give its life and its blood because life is in the blood instead of them having to die for the sin that they committed. Are you still with me? Life's in the blood, so the blood without the shedding of blood, without the the shedding, obviously means the blood coming forth, um, there can be no remission of sin. Now, when a family would bring a sacrifice to the temple to be offered for their sin, it wasn't like they pulled you know, the minivan chariot up to the door and let a goat hop out, and they drove off. You know, Tell the guy at the door, make sure he knows that's from the Winslet family. No, no. As, as the head of my house, as the priest of my home, I would have to bring the goat in to the temple. The priest would assist me, but I was going to be the one who took the knife and drug it through its screaming throat. And I'm not trying to make you all squeamish. I'm just trying to show you. Why is that? Because God wanted the people to know there are consequences for sin, and He is being very merciful to allow the knife to be drugged through the goat's throat instead of the priest of the household's throat. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not a hellfire brimstone guy. Y'all know this, okay? It's real. I, that's not me. You know, we've, we've heard enough of that, I believe. You know, we've been told enough what's wrong with us. We need somebody to stand up and tell us God's answers for how to change it. And that's me, okay? But we have so, so misunderstood what one sin costs us and ultimately the price it cost the one who redeemed us we do not understand we excuse things justify things we we can explain away and deny and act like it's no big deal And I'm telling you, we need a revelation. We need an understanding. And so that was part of them bringing that animal in there and sacrificing it themselves, participating in the sacrifice because God wanted it to leave an impression upon them that unless uh, that animal died in their place, they were still responsible for the sin that they had committed up until that point. Now, if they got back in that minivan chariot and drove home, had a knockdown drag out when they got home, you know, sin, did whatever, guess what they got to do? They got to go get another goat, right? (laughs) Because those sacrifices only counted for the sins that were committed up until the time that they were offered. Any sin committed after that, there had to be another offering. And then any sin after that, there had to be another offering after that. Now, all of this is pointing to the day when Jesus will come and be our substitute. Right? Let me say it another way. He will be our eternal substitute. He will come and He will be one sacrifice, don't miss this now, for all sin For all time. If someone was to get born again right now in this room, Jesus would not have to go back and die again for you to be saved. He's already paid for your sin. He's already done for you and me everything necessary for us to be born again. Now, for some of you this is going to be watering things that you've already heard. But I'm asking you tonight to let the Holy Spirit help you hear these things um, fresh and new for the first time. If If this is the first time for some of you to hear these things, I am so excited for you. Because of what you are about to hear and understand. One of the main assignments of the Holy Spirit, who came to live in you the moment you were born again, His assignment, among other things, is to help you as an individual believer connect with and identify with the completed work of Jesus. And by the completed work of Jesus, I'm talking about all that Jesus did for you as your substitute when He came to this planet. Jesus did not come to this earth to improve upon His right standing with God the Father. He did not come to this earth to make Himself right before His Father. He was eternally right in the eyes of His Father before His Father. He came to this earth to be a substitute for you and for me, to make you right and to make me right before His Father and in His Father's eyes. Now when we talk about identifying with the completed work of Jesus for the most part people identify i think with his what we're calling his death because that's the thing that is often you that you most often hear referenced when somebody talks about Jesus dying on the cross to save me from my sins is that fair enough I know that's a general term, maybe not you, but at least my personal experience in working with lots of people in lots of different areas and and places and maturity levels, that's kind of what people, I think, identify with the most about what Jesus has done for you. In other words, if I ask you tonight, what's the greatest thing Jesus ever did for you, more than likely you would say, "He, He died for me on the cross, right? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm telling you it's incomplete. Because the enemy would have you only focused on his death. And because that's where most people's understanding of what he's done for them ends, that's where their salvation experience tends to stall out as well. Jesus' death. I'm offering to you tonight that there are five key components of what Jesus did for you as your substitute. And the first one the first one is extremely important but in some ways also put you and me in even greater jeopardy than we were in before he came and let me try to explain. The first thing that Jesus did for you was he came to this planet and as your substitute he lived a sinless life. He lived a sinless life. Now I'll get to the verses, but let me explain why I say in some ways that jeopardized you even more than you were jeopardized before. If Jesus had never become a man and lived a sinless life, and our lives just all went off the cliff like we, we were all driving towards the edge of that cliff, and we all stood before God one day, we would at least have this one leg to stand on. Nobody else did it either, God. Nobody else lived a sinless life. Nobody else was able to do it. It's not fair, God, for you to hold me accountable for something that no human being in history could have ever accomplished. Because Jesus came and aced the test, we no longer have that excuse. That's sobering, isn't it? When you and I could not live a sinless life, Jesus came and lived one for you as your substitute, as your representative. Let me give you some verses. The first one's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. You turned there three hours ago. No, I'm kidding. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. I'm going to wait for you to turn there because it's a really important verse. So let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. Praise God. I'm going to give you a few verses that support this point, okay? The first one is Jesus' sinless life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll go straight to verse 21. There's a lot of verses here. Again, for those of you who've been with us for a little while, you know that these are our golden texts. Where are we started. You're right, Sister Betty. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, it says this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus was sinless. He knew no sin. He was tempted in all points, just like you and me, in the flesh. He experienced every kind of temptation. This came to me in in, uh, class about three weeks ago, four weeks ago in, in, the, in the men's class on, on Sunday morning. And that is, you know, this, um, and I know I was in religious denominations in those days. I'm not recommending the movie. I've never seen the movie. But if you remember when Scorsese made the movie The Last Temptation of Christ, everybody picketed and screamed and hollered and, and you know, he's blaspheming all to sort of this stuff. And And from what I have later read about the movie, he was talking about The Last Temptation of Christ was, Come down off the cross, live as a man, marry uh, a woman, have children, and forget about it because nobody, everybody's being so ugly to him mistreating him anyway. And the fact that he did not give in to that last temptation uh, and do that, but he saw it all the way through to the bitter end. Yes? I have, a, I have an alternate suggestion on that, okay? The last temptation of Jesus, the last temptation that he overcame for you and for me, and this is coming soon to a sermon near you in a greater form, okay? The last temptation that he overcame for you and me was the temptation to not forgive. Because One of the last things he did from that cross is forgive everyone who hurt him, who wronged him, who laughed at him, who spit on him, who jerked out his beard, who beat him almost unrecognizable. Can you imagine the temptation, the agony that he was in? I don't know about you, but, you know, when you're in pain, and especially when you're emotionally on edge, You tend to be a little less uh, forbearing, patient with people, right? He was suffering pain like we, thank God, cannot even comprehend the, the fatigue, the blood loss, the thirst, the agony, the desperation. And so it would have been very easy for him to have given in to that temptation. So again, you may have a different opinion, that's fine. But while he hung on that cross, having never committed a single sin of his own, Father God put all of our sin on him. He made him sin so that he could make me and make you righteous before him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is such a a favorite passage of mine that my Bible almost opens there automatically. All right, so Romans chapter 8. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Are you good? I haven't looked at a watch lately. Let me look at one. Man, where does the time go? Alright. Romans chapter 1 and verse... I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now... You already know what I want to say. No condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Later he's going to say, if you're born of God, you walk according to the Spirit. So that's not a prerequisite. It's, it's, it's who you already are. Your Spirit's already been born again, made one with God's Spirit, so you're walking in the Spirit. All right? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that's the old law code, the old performance-based system. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Let me, let me give you a quick translation of what he's saying there. Okay. It's not that God's laws were wrong. You, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. And there's consequences for doing wrong. So, the problem with that law system was not the law. The problem with the law system was with you and me, in particular with our flesh. The, the weakness was our flesh. And so he says that because the law could not make us righteous because of the weakness through the flesh, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, because of our sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Notice this, verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. who Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there was a requirement established by the law that we could not live up to. It was a bar that we could never measure up to. It was a standard that we could never measure up to. And it's that standard or it's nothing. Almost doesn't count here. Close enough doesn't cut it. So Jesus came and lived up to the standard and then gave you and me credit for doing it. A substitute. All right? So his sinless life. We've already mentioned His death, but turn with me to Galatians chapter two. We haven't looked at the verses yet. So we know that Father God allowed Jesus to be made our sin, to become our sin. The Lord Isaiah said it this way, "The Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. So our sin was laid upon Jesus. Jesus took it and nailed it to His cross, paying the penalty with His life for it once and for all. But we're not just talking about giving Him props. We're not just talking about looking at Jesus and saying even as important as it is for us to be grateful and to be thankful. But if you really want to show Him appreciation for what He's done for you, then connect with it on a personal, individual level. Begin to identify with it personally in your own life. That it's not just something He did for you, but it's what He did as you. As you. And while you're at it, thank Father God for allowing him to do it and it count on your behalf and mine. Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Put on the brakes here for a minute. This is something that that Paul talked about throughout his writings, okay? And Let's, let me try to do it this way, okay? Because of God's law, and let me, let me, let me, this might be an easier thing for you. People who do not know God, people who have never been born again, are still held to the standard of the law. I was being maybe a little lighthearted about it, you know, not having to get in the line where people's sins are going to be judged because ours have already been judged. And, you know, forgive me, Father, forgive me. I should have been really lighthearted about that because those people are fixing to be doomed. You do understand this, right? Because they're going to be judged by that law. That's the law that they're under. That's the requirement. And they've all failed miserably. We were all under that law. We were all headed for a judgment to be judged based upon our performance to that law. Thank God we got out of that. How did we get out of that? We died to it. We died. Paul uses the example, and I'm, I sometimes hesitate because I, you know, if you've been divorced in here, I'm not picking on you. Please hear me. Paul uses the example. Under the old law, a woman who was married to a man, if she divorced him according to the law, she could not marry again unless there were certain stipulations. We're we'll going to all that, okay? But if he died, thank you, sister, if he died, she was freed from the law that she was under that said if she married another she would be committing adultery. You follow what I'm saying? So he's using that as an example. How, was she, how did she become free from that divorce law of the Old Testament? She became free from it because literally she died. In other words, it wasn't. I know you think, well, no, 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 her husband died. No, she died too because they were one, and when he died the covenant died with him that made them one in the eyes of God. Now that he's dead, Paul's using this kind of like he used those folks that lived between Adam and Moses that never broke the law that Adam gave. He's using this as an example to make a point. So again, we died to the law so that we can now live to God. This living to God, see it goes back to People thinking of Christianity as being a life of what you don't do. God didn't create us to not do a list of things that He forbids. He created us for life. It's for freedom. He set you free. Let's keep reading. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Oh my goodness, there's so much here. In a Bible that makes a lot of astounding statements, this to me is one of the most astounding, and it is one of the most important. We can infer this from other passages. We can connect this dot in other ways. But I'm telling you right now, you do not have to have um, a Masters of Divinity degree to understand what verse 20 says, especially that first phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, remember what Paul said before this in verse 19. I'm not under the law anymore because I died to the law so that I can now live to God. So, uh, obviously, you know, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, anticipating, if we got any writers in here, you know that as you're writing, the Holy Spirit helps you anticipate what the reader may be thinking or the question that the reader may be asking. I don't always, you know, get it 100% of the time, but I try as I'm teaching to anticipate questions that you would ask and ask them as the Holy Spirit is directing us and teaching us all. Amen? So when the Apostle Paul makes this statement, and this is the, in other words, there's lots of very important statements here. Sometimes, especially for you and me, We look at this part about dying to the law and living to God as kind of being a a subset, or you know, kind of one of those things that Jews had to deal with. No, 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 my friend, this is as important as a statement. As a matter of fact, I've been crucified with Christ is a supporting statement. I mean, if we were doing the outline right, Um, I'm I'm no longer under the law because I died to the law would be like it would get the Roman numeral, you know, and so. The Holy Spirit anticipating the question, you know, well, how is it that you died to the law, big boy Paul? Right. I died to the law because I have been crucified with Christ. When He died, I died with Him. That's what he's saying. I have been crucified with Christ, meaning what? I died. It is no longer Mark Winslet who lives. It is no longer Paul who lives. It is no longer Arthur who lives. It is no longer, are you following what I'm saying here? Who lives. I was going to give everybody, put everybody's name in the room in there, right? I just caught myself there, right? But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live. He could have said it this way. The life which I now live on planet Earth. That's not what he said. Obviously, we're on planet Earth. But the life which I now live, everybody watch me, everybody watch me, okay, we've been doing this a whole bunch of times, right? The life that I now live in the flesh, again, the life that I now live in the flesh, if I sin, it's not me that does it. It's not denial, it's doctrine, it's truth. Paul recognized there was a part of him that was a completed work, a part of him that was work in progress, and a part of him that nothing good dwelled in and would one day be done away with entirely and traded in for a glorified body. Called it a tent. And he said, you watching me? He said, I will not let it rule me. Okay? The life which I now live in this body the life which you now live in your body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Gave Himself for me screams a lot of words, I guess, but one word in particular, substitute. Right? Substitute. Now, the context of this is clearly that, you know, his death, we died with him. But the context shifts when he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because him giving himself for us doesn't just include giving himself for us in death. He gave himself for us when he came to this planet, right? And then he gave himself for us when he lived a sinless life. He gave himself for us in death and all of that followed after that. Back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. You get anything out of this? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know who I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about Jesus, but you know who else I'm talking about? Talk about you. Talking about you, right? Just humor me one time and say me. You know who I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Me. That's right. Me too. Me too. All right. All right. Colossians, where are we? I haven't got there myself. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Man, I guess. All right. Colossians chapter 3. And let's begin at verse number 1. Now, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we'll come back to this. Okay. If then you were raised with Christ. So, obviously, now he's talking about burial, Resurrection. We'll come back to the resurrection. We're still on death. Okay? But notice, a lot of times when you, and some of the other verses we'll look at as time allows, you will see that the other components of what he has done for you, his completed work on your behalf, um, you know, will be mentioned as well. If then you were raised with Christ, not will be, but were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For, verse 3, if you underline, highlight, mark, draw lightning bolts around, I would recommend it right here. Verse 3, For you died, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's go back to Jaden having the pass and us all going through the door with him, right? Except for in this case, remember the you know, Happy Days or whatever, the, the, the Sunday, Monday, Happy Days, that old television show. And, and I think it was on all of that when they would go into the drive-in and then they would get parked and they would go around and open the trunk and everybody would jump out of the trunk. You know, see, so I had to pay for one car load and, and now they're cheating the poor drive-in on it, right? But he's getting them back with popcorn, so it's all right. Seven dollar popcorn. Anyway. Are you still with me? Praise God. Sometimes I throw that little stuff in there just to make sure you're still on your toes. All right. So, that's what he's saying. That we've been hidden in Christ. We died with Him. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, doesn't just have our life, He hasn't just given you life, but He is your life. When He appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. All right, let's go to Romans 6. Back to Romans 6. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 6. All right, we still got a few minutes. Are you good? All right, Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. So we identify with him that he lived a sinless life and then gave you and me the credit for doing it. He did it as our substitute. He did it as you. Now, Romans chapter 6, I mean, we'll probably, before the evening's over, read most of the first 11 verses. But let's begin at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Back to that anticipating the question. Here, he just goes ahead and asks the question that he knows everybody's going to ask. So, because we're in grace, does this mean we just keep on sinning so that God's grace will abound? Because he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. i got good news for you, okay? There will always be more forgiveness than there will be sin. There will always be more healing than there will be sickness. There will always be more deliverance than there will be addiction and bondage. Amen. There will always be more life than there is darkness. There will always be more life than there is death. Because God, of course, is the source of all those positive things. So he just gets through making that point in chapter 5. So he comes to this crossroad. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many, as, as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. right? So remember, we've put on Christ, baptized into Christ. We now identify with Him, are identified by Him. So now we're talking about what He did for us and connecting with this. Internalizing. Do you understand what I mean by internalizing? Where in your own heart, in your own belief system, in your own thoughts, in your own mind, this begins to shape and form and reshape and reform and condition and recondition the way you think, Please, not just how you see God, but how you begin to see yourself. How you begin to see other people. Alright. So, um, the next one is his burial. And obviously death and burial could be like almost the same. But I like to separate it out. I used to teach this as four components instead of five, with death and burial being the same component. But... Because of a lie that we've already addressed in here a couple of times, I think it's important for us, in the last few years I've emphasized this component of his burial. So, the idea behind his burial, keep reading verse 4, Therefore we were buried, yes, <laughs> we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, I mentioned this lie, and um, we taught on it one week, and then Sister Chris didn't take much prodding from her. She asked me to, to bring it up again. And it's this idea that continues to linger in the minds and the, and the thoughts of, of, of many born-again people. And it's this idea that now that we've been born again and become a partaker of a new nature, that we still have the old nature in us. And so, when He's talking about you being crucified with Christ and you dying with Him and you being buried with Him, He's not talking about your body. He's not talking about your flesh. He's talking about this part of you, the real you. This is the part of you that died. This is the part of you that was buried. And this is the part of you that was left in an unmarked grave. Because when we were born again of a different seed, we became a partaker of a divine nature. We were once by nature children of wrath, just like every other human being born on planet earth, because we were born of corrupted seed. But when we were born from the womb of death by a new seed, the old man was left in the grave, and the new man came out with Jesus, a a new creation reason we have this concept of an of a old nature still in us is because our old nature imprinted our thoughts. Another sermon coming soon near you, alright? <laughs> so when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he gave him, watch me now. He gave him life. He resurrected him. There's no spirit in him. There was no hand in the glove. Hand came back in the glove. But Jesus didn't take the grave clothes off. Grave, grave clothes off of him, did he? He told everybody else to do that. Loose him and let him go. Take them grave clothes off of him. Do you realize what Jesus just did for us when he when he did it? He set the example for us. He gives people life, but we are the ones that make disciples. We're the ones that help people get out of their grave clothes. So, because we still think like somebody who's dead, we still got some grave clove behavior. I keep want to say grave clove like it's a spice, like something you make pumpkin pie with, right? Grave clove, I can say it, praise God. Note to self, if you preach this, practice that. Okay, <laughs> Grave clothing. The grave clothing is when somebody still has the appearance of someone who's dead, but they're not dead. They're not dead. I don't know about you, I'm not really proud of it, but I've given the appearance, you know, I've lived like a dead man after <laughs> I was given life. Didn't mean I was a dead man. I need somebody to help me get out of these grave clothes. Right? You follow me? So, That old nature, that's that's why we had to be born from death. That's why we had to die with Him. The old person we were had to die. And we died with Him. And we were buried with Him. And now, the Bible says, we were resurrected with Him. Let's keep reading. Verse number 5, Romans 6 and 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our own man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Let's go back to, here it's a little bit confusing when it says body of sin. He's not talking about this body. He's talking about the old nature, the old sin nature. Remember, you can dress this guy up make him look like a television preacher. Just like you can take that orange and paint it red and put a green leaf on it, but you break it open, the inside, it's it's still got the body of an orange. It's still got the innards of an orange. So we died with Him so that the man of sin, the nature of sin, could be done away with, not co- Habitate the same glove. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Next time you're tempted, just how about confessing out of your mouth, Devil? I don't know what you're doing, but I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I am so over that. I am so free from that. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that, sir. Man, I've been telling people, I mean right here, you understand what I'm saying? Your flesh wants it, right? Somebody asked me today, you want a piece of cake, Pastor Mark? I said, I am so over cake, you have no idea. I am so over it. My flesh was going, get the biggest piece that's out there. Right, you see what I'm saying? Did my flesh want it? My my flesh was one of the biggest pieces they could put on there, and I was wondering why anybody why they didn't bring ice cream. Don't you know if you got cake, you got to have ice cream? Where's the milk? Are you kidding me? But what came out of my mouth? I am so over it. Watch this now. I am so over it. I am dead to it. Carbohydrates don't own me anymore. Now, if you think I'm bragging, I'm not. I'm I'm faithing it. I'm not faking it. I'm faithing it. Because He set me free. Gave me a gift of repentance. I can go right now. I can leave church and go find donuts. But I'm not going to do it, right? Because I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. Paul, If we kept reading in Romans 8, Paul would make this statement to you. You do not owe your flesh anything. Your flesh will try to tell you, well, you owe it. You owe it to yourself. Who do you think saying you owe it to yourself? Your spirit isn't saying you owe it to yourself. The Holy Spirit's not saying you owe it to yourself. The residue of that dead man that used to live inside of your glove has imprinted your mind, and your mind's got this crazy thing going on that you, you owe your flesh a snicker bar every now and then. No, you don't. You don't I don't owe it anything. I do not owe it anything. And this is the this is what He's... You say, Pastor Mark, I don't, I'm not sure I'm getting what you're putting down right there. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. This is the attitude that we can now have as a born-again believer. And through endurance in that, guess what? You'll regain possession. Those carbohydrates will not on you anymore. That heroin won't on you anymore crystal meth won't you anymore Jesus said through endurance you will regain possession of your own soul and there was something else somebody else at times in our lives has owned us are obsessed with our thoughts our emotions were connected to that our choices were driven by that thing you didn't even possess your own soul but thank God it's a new day cause there's a new sheriff in town right that old man's dead And He's making us wise, right? We're not not ignorant of the devil's devices. So you died to sin. And if you died to it, that means you're what? Freed from it. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. The life that I now live in the flesh. It's no longer I who live, right? But Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh... Live by my faith in the Son of God, who loved me gave Himself for me. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. So your your life is Christ, and He ain't dying anymore. You've been hidden in Him, and your life is Him now. So if He's not dying anymore, and He is your life, you're not dying anymore either. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So, do you see, because he died to sin and you died with him, you died to sin. And because you died to sin, you have been freed from sin. Is Jesus being tempted to sin tonight? Is Jesus like, oh my God, them you strolls, Pastor Mark, you know what I'm saying? I feel you, man. You know what I'm saying? No, no, he's not. He's not. He's not tempted by those things. He's, di- he's dead to that. And you died with him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, I know that it's been a minute or two, but remember Galatians 2.19, I died to the law that I might live. That I might live to God. Same thing here, right? Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. First of all, I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit gave a shout out to us Southerners when He used the word reckon in the Bible. Come on now. I didn't put I love the word reckon too, man. Shout out to you, my brother. Amen. Now, this is not a trick question, but I want you to think about it. What part of you Reckons things. That's your reckoner. Okay? That's where you and me and every other human being does their reckoning. What does this word reckon mean? It means to join together in your mind. Likewise, in the same way that Jesus died to sin and lives to God, you reckon yourself, you connect with this in your own mind, you identify with this as if it were you because it was you because you were in Christ when He died and when He was buried and when He was raised to newness of life. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed. He left out, shall enough, dead to sin, but amen. We'll let him get by as long as he's reckoned. Indeed, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we've got to get straight in our minds what we're dead to and who we're alive to. For too long, the devil tried to tell you, you're dead to God. As far as God's concerned, He's through with you. He's given you so many chances, or He's moved on to somebody else. And you're alive to that sin problem. You're alive to that habit you can't quit. You're alive to that lifestyle problem that you have. He's lying to you. You're dead to the sin and alive to God. Not dead to God and alive to the sin. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus says this, Man, let's turn there. Praise God. Mm. Sweet Jesus. So if you know what's going on here, one of Jesus' good buddies has died. He was very sick and got word that he was sick and of course they were wanting to come and, and heal Lazarus, but He didn't really get the release to go and and heal him. And then, of course, Lazarus died, and he was dead for four days. And it was only then that Jesus went and raised him from the dead. Now, a few things about this. First of all, the um, Jewish religion, it's... It's a stretch of the term, but it's one that we relate to better than the word sect, S-E-C-T. And it's the word denomination. And so the, the Jewish religion was divided into sects or denomination, S-E-C-T, not S-E-X, S-E-C-T, okay? So, for instance, you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, were three of the major denominations are or, or different groups. And just like the Baptists believe things differently from the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ believe things differently from... Um, Church of God in Christ, you know, Methodists, what have you. So they had different beliefs, even though it was the one Jewish religion, Judaism, okay? So the Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in any resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they did believe in supernatural. They did believe in the resurrection of the dead. But listen to me very carefully. They believed in resurrection from the dead only if it took place within a three-day window. They believed if someone was dead beyond three days, that they could not be raised from the dead. Now, they got that from the Old Testament type and shadow that was speaking of a three-day resurrection, which we know Jesus was dead three days and was then raised up. So when Jesus raises them up on the fourth day and says, with God, all things are possible, He's saying, don't limit me. Don't put no deadline on me, okay? (laughs) Because if you say he can only do it in three days, he'll do it on the fourth day. Amen. All right. So he has this conversation with his friends, and you just kind of have to understand what's going on here. But there were not a lot of places that Jesus was welcomed or celebrated. Not a lot of places where he could sit in a chair on a late afternoon and relax and talk to people about the things of God who really wanted to hear them. But Bethany was that place and Mary, Martha and Lazarus's house was that home. And so we used to swear, of course, Jesus wept. Some people have different ideas as to why Jesus wept. Um, I, I think it would be wrong to leave out that Jesus loved Lazarus and was touched by human emotion. Some say he wept because of their unbelief. I believe that. There's this case for that. Some say that he wept because he knew Lazarus was going to be upset with him because Jesus knew where he was fixing to call Lazarus back from. <laughs> there you go. Something to that, I believe. But he says this because he told them if they would only believe, they would see the glory of God. And of course... There was some belief there, even amongst Jesus' closest friends, but not the kind of belief that He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus said this in verse 25, John 11:25. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die." Do you believe this? Now, there are people who try to take these verses, and they've done it for generations, and craft a doctrine that says, if you just simply have strong enough faith, you will never die physically. You know what's happened to every one of those people? Yeah, you got it. They all died. So, He's not talking about this, and I know, especially you know, nobody like Paul said when he was teaching on these things. He said, "I don't, he said, I don't have a death wish. I'm not, I'm not wanting to die. That's not what I'm saying." He's saying, "But if we lose sight of to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If if we think death is a demotion, we're wrong. Where we're going next is way better than this place will ever be until Jesus comes back here." But obviously, we, you know, it's like. the Ask the group, you know, anybody here want to go to heaven? The guy says, "Where well, you getting a load up today or are you talking about some time later down the road, right? So we want to go, just not today. So when he's talking about never dying, he's talking about this part of you. This is a, and I know I got to quit. Let me quit right here if I could. When we, when we talk about The list next week gets even better than this. I don't think it's better than this, but it's, it's a good list too. We're going to go through it piece by piece. But connect with this. Let the Holy Spirit help you with this, please. Everybody just kind of pause for a moment, all right? Let the Holy Spirit help you connect with this. He didn't just say, he, in other words, Jesus would introduce a truth and then it would continue to unfold more and more layers of it. So He initially says, I've come to give you life. But how did He give us life? He gave us life by giving us Himself. So we have life because He is life and He's in us and we're in Him. So it's not just that He gave me life. He is my life. He lives inside of me. He is my life. So when He he says, I am the resurrection and the life, He's saying much more here than I can raise someone from the dead. I can give the dead life again. He's saying more than that. As if that's not enough. He's saying I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, right? Let me get back to it. i not want to misquote it. Well, where did I go? <laughs> There it is, praise God. Give it to me, somebody. Though he may die, he shall live. Though Though he may die, he shall live. So let's go back to the stick man, right? Though he may die. Are you you understanding what he's saying here? because your spirit, his spirit have become one spirit. Praise God. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us, showing us, helping us understand. Jesus name. Amen. One second if I could get you a hold of one second. So, obviously we haven't completed the list yet. We'll review these next week and then we'll get to this final one and put a bow on it and then move on to some new stuff. So, I love you. Thank you for being here. Have a great evening. Be blessed. If you must go, we wish you well, and if not, we'll see you in the main service.